Hey there, and welcome to yet another anime podcast. Just who the hell do I think I am? I'm Ninja Boy, and I'm yet another anime podcast host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. I know it's been just a week since the last time I was in your feeds, but I guess that's what happened when you were one week behind schedule last time. Uh, so here we are back trying to get cat caught up again. Like, I need to get caught up with all the seasonal anime I've been putting off. Uh, anyway, like I hinted at at the end of last episode, I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to finish my Studio Ghibli walkthrough this episode due to the number of films I needed to watch to finish. And given that two of the six films I need to finish are considered the worst Ghibli films out there, I didn't feel like I was going to want to cram all of that into a single week. So instead, we'll go with my backup plan, and we'll come back to the Ghibli films in August after I've done my seasonal recap and seasonal preview episodes uh, next month in July. So what was that backup plan? Well, last week was Netflix Geeked Week, uh, where they announced a bunch of upcoming anime-related content. Plus, this past season, there were a couple of Netflix original anime coming out I had yet to check out, and outside of Geeked Week, there were further announcements about seasonal anime that were trapped in Netflix jail uh, that was soon to be freed. So I figured why not make my anime you should watch on Netflix uh, a bi-annual type of episode uh, once now and once uh, at the end of fall. So last time I did this episode, I did a bit of history on anime on Netflix, specifically the idea of what Netflix jail actually is for licensed shows, as well as their foray into Netflix original productions. Uh, as a reminder, when I say it's a Netflix original, what I mean, despite Netflix using it for all their anime is that those are anime that Netflix basically produces and that premiere on the platform, um, whereas licensed Netflix shows are shows that debut in Japan on TV, but here in the West, uh, they don't come out uh, in simulcast form. They come out uh, on Netflix at some point later. Um, I went down la that last time I did this episode on the top-rated Netflix anime, according to my anime list. I promise to revisit that list down the line. Um, I'll try to make some headway into that list, but I also want to talk about the more recent and also upcoming Netflix anime news from Geek Week and beyond. Uh, so let's dive into the uh, anime that came out in 2021 so far on Netflix. So for 2021, uh, we started off in February with the release of High Rise Invasion, a Netflix original, i.e. not licensed, uh, um, adaptation of a survival manga from Trina Miura and Takahiro Oba from 2013. It was produced by Studio Zero G, who have actually done a number of anime I like, such as Grand Blue, My Roommate is a Cat, and Science Fall in Love. Um, the first episode has a pretty interesting premise, if somewhat weird pacing. Um, our main character is suddenly transported to a world, so I guess it's an isekai, uh, on top of a number of skyscrapers connected by rope bridges, uh, with the stairs and elevators to the ground floor blocked off. Uh, she comes across these individuals wearing featureless masks uh, whose goal seemed to be to force other non-mask wearing individuals to jump off buildings to their deaths by driving them to despair. Pretty grim, dark, and edgy if you ask me. Uh, as the survival genre series go, our main character ends up overpowering one of these masked ma characters, takes the weapons, and presumably over the course of the series will try to find a way out of this crazy world. Uh, reminds me of the Netflix series uh, Alice in Borderland, which I believe uh, had an anime manga adaptation, I think, at some point and also definitely had like a korean live action uh drama which is a, was on netflix um so you know uh 
uh, this definitely also has similar Battle Royale vibes to anime such as Mirai Nikki, Dead Man Wonderland, Batum, Gans, Gleipnir, and the like. Uh, animation wasn't particularly standout, even in the action sequences, which I think is holding it back from being truly great. Um, but the real, the real strength of this show comes down to the mystery of what this world is and how they'll survive. And yeah, there's a little bit of fan service, but it doesn't really feel too gratuitous. Honestly, it feels kind of like something that would happen in this world. Uh, personally, I'm definitely not a fan of survival battle royale type shows, so I'm likely you're not going to be following up on this in the future, but if that's your thing, you should definitely check it out. Uh, following that up, in March, Netflix licensed the sword anime series Pui Pui Molkar. Now, that name sounds familiar. It may be because it was my sword anime season of the winter 2021 anime season. So, uh, you can definitely hear my thoughts on Pui Pui Molkar in the early episodes of this podcast. Suffice to say, I'm definitely super pleased that they are spreading the gospel of guinea pig vigilar stop motion goodness around the world. Definitely check it out if you have not already. Or go back and rewatch it again if you have. Now, one thing Netflix tends to do, uh, and probably a marketing thing, is that it calls a lot of what some would call anime-inspired animated shows just straight-up anime, uh, even if it was not produced by a Japanese studio or company. Uh, as such, my anime list and Annie list don't include such series, uh, such as the Netflix original Pacific Rim Uprising and Dota Dragon's Blood, which came out in March also, um, as well as the well-received Castlevania series, which just had its final season in May, though I hear it's really, really good. I haven't personally been able to uh, watch the first season, though. Uh, the same team is also going to be working on the upcoming He-Man Masters of the Universe remake. Uh, for consistency's sake, and generally since I already have way too much that I need to be watching, so I don't want to add more to my plate, um, I'm generally not going to discuss these shows, even if they were called anime by Netflix, if they don't appear in my anime list, um, since I use it as a tracker for the most part. There will be one exception this episode, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, in any case, then for the spring anime season proper starting in April, Netflix released the much-anticipated Way of the House Husband series. Now, this one was based on a popular online manga of the same name by Kosuke Ono about a former Yakuza gangster turned house husband that kind of went viral to the point it got a live-action TV drama. Uh, the Netflix anime was produced by JC staff for Netflix in the form of a five 17-minute episodes, uh, with more apparently on the way. Now, I love Way of the House Husband, uh, you know, at least the manga. Even if it's basically the same old joke told over and over and over for, what, at this point, 70 chapters, uh, the gag never gets old. The comedic pacing and timing are of the, and the, and the panel layouts combined with the situational juxtaposition, um, you know, of this, you know, dark character, kind of like lighthearted situations, and, you know, the actually fairly impressive art means that every single chapter uh, is a banger. Here, the here with the adaptation, they unfortunately removed a lot of what made the series great. In the 17-minute short episode, we got six different gags, six different chapters crammed together with barely animation. Some have called it a motion graphic comic, uh, you know, so basically just lifting panels from the manga, coloring them in, and then adding back lip flaps for dialogue, which is, you know, a fairly accurate, which calling it that I think is a fairly accurate representation. Uh, while it's definitely not the ideal format I would have liked, I think the real killer, though, uh, that makes this, this, this adaptation just not work, uh, is that the pacing is just so fast because you know you only have a couple of minutes per episode per per gag um even yes they are sort of chapters but the gag the build-up is just not really done like comedy is all about timing getting the, the timing right building up the tension and then paying it off um that's what makes comedy really great and here because they're just trying to do so much so fast there's no real sense of that comedic timing being built up properly um you know uh 
and it just you know it just feels really shallow um and also you know the beautiful black and white art you know was highly detailed and yeah you know there is something to be said about having it in color but you losing some of that detail just the way they did the color just didn't really make up for it um you know, I will say, uh, and, and the fact that they tried to animate some of it, if not fully, also lost some detail further. Um, the only real thing I think the series adds on that wasn't in the manga is the voice acting, specifically of Kenjiro Chuda, uh, who played Kaiba from Yu-Gi-Oh, Joker in Fire Force, and Nanami from Jujutsu Kaisen. Um, he's voicing Tatsu, and he's really a perfect fit for the character, um, and obviously we can't get that in the manga. Uh, overall, I definitely recommend you check out the manga over the anime, but that's just my own preference. Um, if you don't feel like read, uh, if you don't feel like reading it, you know, by all means, check this out. I th- I think the series is worth re- worth consuming in one form or another. I would just recommend doing the manga before the anime. Uh, and then at the end of last April, Netflix dropped an anime directed by Lasan Thomas, uh, animator and producer who has worked on Legends of Korra, The Boondocks, and the Netflix series of his own comic based on his own comic, Cannon Busters. Um, Lasan Thomas, the new, this, the new series was called uh, Yasuke, based on a historical figure of the same name, an African warrior who served under Oda Nobunaga um, in a bit of an alternate history. Uh, Yasuke here is voiced by Lakeith Stanfield in the English dub, and production was handled by uh, for the six-episode Netflix original by the ever-busy Studio Mappa. Now, when I watched the first episode of this one, I actually opted for the English dub uh, since it seems, at least according to Netflix, that this is the original language in question. And hey, if Lakeith Stanfield is one of the big draws for the series, how could I not? Uh, you know, plus, I also checked a few scenes uh, when Yasuke switched from English to Japanese uh, in the English language dub. I switched to the Japanese language, and it didn't really make sense uh, in that situation there. So anyway, as far as content goes, on one hand, this is yet another story in the orbit around Oda Nobunaga, you know, which is done to death multiple, multiple times. Um and, you know, so there are definitely a lot of similar qualities there. Um, this one does focus a little bit outside of Oda Nobunaga himself on one of the side characters who hasn't really shown up in many of the other Oda Nobunaga uh, adaptations, which is at least something. Um, now, this one's definitely not the most historically accurate either. Even beyond, you know, whatever liberties took, they took with Yasuke's story historically, um, I don't think magic and mechs were a staple of samurai combat at the time. Uh, now, speaking of combat, you know, these action sequences are well done, as expected from MAPPA, and honestly, the magic uh, honestly, the, the magic and mechs and decent action are mostly enough for me to be interested in following up on this. I can tell the character designs are you know a little bit away from the typical anime style and a little bit more in the North American style, probably due to Lisan Thomas's background as the director. Um, now, this one does also have a lower score on my anime list, which I'm not sure if that's because the story just doesn't land properly or because people just had a different expectation and they were disappointed. Um, but, you know, we'll see how it is whenever I get to those rest of the episodes down the line. Uh, one other p- point worth noting is that the soundtrack is by The Flying Lotus, who, given his involvement with Carol on Tuesday, is definitely a big anime fan at this point if he didn't think he was before. Um, all the soundtrack is total bangers and another point in the show's favor. Now, a month later, at the end of May, we got a equivalent of an OVA release with four episodes of the original anime series, ba- uh, you know, loosely inspired by Isaac Asimov, um, called Eden, another Netflix original. This one was done in CG by CGCG Studio and Cubic Studios with a Q, who I don't think really have done anything before. Um, this was directed by Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood director Yasuhiro Irie, character designed by Cowboy Bebop, Kekai Sensen, and Nobu Noigami's Toshihiro Kawamoto, and everyone's favorite composer, Kevin 
Penkin from Tower of God and Made in Abyss. Uh, this one definitely feels a bit more experimental compared to other anime out there. Part of that might be that, you know, it's in CG, um, and it's approaching fairly tried and true subject matter from a slightly different angle. Uh, for more on that, check out Glass Refraction's video on the series. Um, I'm not sure I felt about the characterization we've got in the first episode so far, but given that it's only four episodes, and hey, if you like, you know, sci-fi series, um, you know, it's basically my policy when it comes to these, uh, you know, for shorter series that, you know, I'm probably going to go check it out since, hey, it's, it's not going to be as long as a full series. Um, at the very least, I think it makes use of the most of the distribution model of Netflix in that, you know, they're not trying to extend the story out to be a full 13 episodes, um, you know, just because it's making content that tells a specific story that they're looking to do so. Now, Earlier in this month, uh, in June 3rd, Netflix released the two-part films of the Sailor Moon Crystal series, known as Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon Eternal Movie. Now, I haven't seen the rebooted Sailor Moon Crystal series, so I can't really talk about these. Uh, that being said, I think this is a good place to talk about how, in addition to all of these series I'm, I'm going over, Netflix also has a number of anime movies they've licensed. I believe the only film that had its debut on Netflix so far has been A Whisker Away, uh, mostly because the pandemic didn't let it debut anywhere else. Uh, but in general, they picked up the streaming rights for these movies, uh, for a lot of movies. Uh, in fact, earlier this week, I believe Fathom Events had a screening of Children of the Sea in theaters, which came out like a couple years ago. Um, I was thinking of maybe trying to go see it, but opted not to, partly because of scheduling reasons and trying to save some money, uh, but also partly knowing that I would be able to see it on Netflix uh, since it's on there. Um, anime films on Netflix definitely range from the franchise films like Naruto, Bleach, and Inuyasha to more critically acclaimed films like In This Court of the World and A Silent Voice, as well as director the works of directors such as Mamoru Hosoda or Masaki Yuasa, or even stuff from Studio Ponak. Uh, now, this next series I want to talk about is the one I said I would be a bit of an exception to my rule of it must be on Mal or my anime list for talking about shows on this episode on this podcast. Last week, on June 11th, Netflix released Trese, a six-episode series based on the Filipino graphic novel of the same name. Now, yes, the production studio is Jakarta's last Singaporean-based company, Base Entertainment, and yes, the director and producer is California-based comic artist uh, Jay Oliva, who previously worked on various DC and Marvel properties ranging from Ant-Man in the MCU to Man of Steel for Zack Snyder, as well as the R-rated DC animated film Justice League Dark. Um, so, the, really the closest thing to this is to, to anime, really is anime-inspired. Uh, even the animation style feels much more DC animated than anything else. But goddamn, as a Filipino-American, I just can't help myself uh, from talking about this. I'm such a sucker for this. Um, you know, plus, as we'll get into more in the next series, I'm also a sucker for mythology. So uh, this film, just this anime just nails so much. You can tell it's an authentic adaptation from a place of love. Uh, Jay Oliva, as a Filipino-American himself, and much of the voice acting cast are Filipino American themselves, and this, you know, heck, this even a it's quite a trip to be able to watch the the, the series in the Tagalog dub. Um, I'll be with subtitles since I'm not that good at Tagalog. Um, I know I've seen some criticism in the Tagalog dub that the main actress Lisa Soberano, as a newcomer to voice acting, didn't really have the range necessary. But as someone who probably will be able to tell, since you know, again, I'm not that great at Tagalog, um, it just feels really cool to be able to have that experience. Third kid culture problems, I guess. Plus, also the uh, the English dub, you know, with uh, you know Filipino Americans, uh, they're definitely doing their best. Um, but there just seems something a little bit off in the pronunciation, at least for me. Um, so yeah. Anyway, as far as the content goes, you know, it follows basically this private investigator, Alexander Treasure, as he solves crimes. Uh, 
in the, the Metro Manila area um, that are perpetrated by you know supernatural beings like Aswang, who are you know the Filipino equivalent of vampires, um, or you know she also talks to like you know duendes or dwarves who are the, her informants and such. Um, and she you know you know she she works you know with various mythological spirits like you know the White Lady who's like you know, like a, a superstition in the Philippines about death. Um, you know, I guess, you know, this death, I will say this stuff, you know, pretty grim and dark uh, on the grim and gritty end of the spectrum with no shortage of death and blood in the first episode. Um, I will wish, I do wish the comic going a little bit more noirish direction, um, which has raised it in the element a little bit more. But, you know, there's no way I can be objective about this series. Uh, heck, I might even try to, you know, do a cross-play, gender-bend cross-play on this for one of the conventions coming up. Uh, definitely going to be trying to catch up on this as quickly as I can. You know, hopefully we get a season two at some point. Or, or if not, you know, hopefully I can find the graphic novels and read the source material. And then finally, Heart of the Precious, we have Record of Ragnarok, which dropped literally yesterday that this episode comes out. This is based on the manga Sumatsu no Valkyrie, written by Shinya Umenmura and uh, Takumi Fukuri, and illustrated by Aki, uh, Akihichi, and is published in monthly comic Zenon since November 2017. Uh, it's basically tournament arc the anime mythology edition, uh, with the premise being that humans from across history have to fight gods from across pantheons and beliefs uh, in the best uh, first to seven match in order to see if humanity will survive or be eradicated. Now, like Way of the House Husband, uh, I've been a fan of this series for a while from the manga. Again, I'm definitely a mythology nut, and crossing over all these mythologies really scratches that particular itch for me. Uh, and then on the human side, you know, fighter side, does a really great job of hyping them up, kind of like you're watching a pay-per-view boxing fight. Um, I think the word that Heimdall does, um, and, you know, hyping them up before they come onto the battle uh, really sells it for me. Um, and yeah, the the the, adapt- the lives of these of these characters are told through flashbacks, uh, which can have, kind of, can somewhat slow the pacing down and quasi fictionalized account. But damn, it just makes it feel so great. Um, the characterization combined with the gorgeous artwork and unique character design really sell the weight of these fights. Um, so far, about you know forty five chapters into the manga, we're at uh, you know fight six out of out of again best of thirteen, uh, with each fight literally getting better at making and making it harder to decide uh, who you should be rooting for. Uh, fight. Four and five in particular. Uh, fight, th- uh, yeah, fight four and five in particular. Um, definitely starts you know, upping this this thing. Where it's like, are we waiting for the gods? Or are we waiting for the humans? You think as a human reader, you'd be waiting for the humans, but there's some things that makes the gods just so likable, and you want to root for them. And that being said, my adoration for the series thus far has, yeah, that I've been gushing about comes again from my experience with the manga. Uh, when it comes to the anime uh, that just came out, I think it falls a little bit short of expectations. Uh, for one, it does retain the very highly detailed character designs, uh, which is more than can be said of Where of the House Husband. However, as a result, it makes for not as compelling animation and choreography, since, you know, it's a kind of a rule for animation where the more complicated the character designs, the kind of more standing still, slide so, lip flap moving. Uh, uh, things, you know, not as detailed backgrounds. You can't really do the crazy stuff that you saw, say, for example, in Jujutsu Kaisen or, um, you know, God of High School, uh, which is definitely something you definitely want from a fighting show like this uh, to be at its best. Uh, perhaps it's to be expected, right? The studios, Gafinica, they don't really have the most stellar of filmographies of their solo work. Now, pacing-wise, I think this would have been a hype show to watch week over week. Um, the 12 episodes cover the first three fights, um, about four episodes per fight, uh, which I guess is necessary as for the, for the flash 
flashbacks and narration and everything I talked about. Um, but there's something about the pace that doesn't, again, work with Netflix's binge model. Um, you know, if it feels disloyal in this 12 episodes of this slow stuff coming out, that's a bit more, that's a bit much that I had to go through as opposed to, you know, 20 minutes of, of building up tension week over week before, you know, every every four weeks, every month or so, we're getting a big climactic release. Um you know, if if Way of the House Husband went, went way too quickly and not being able to build up enough tension, uh, this one takes a little bit too long to build up tension, almost like the original Dragon Ball Z style. Um, I suspect this one was originally designed to come out uh, for TV broadcast before Netflix picked up the rights to this, uh, which is why it's still in TV size format. So full season, uh, full season of episodes. Um, you know, as opposed to Yasuke, which you know had longer episodes, but f- longer episodes but fewer number of them, and still felt pretty briskly paced moving along. Um, I would definitely recommend anyone interested in the series, definitely give the manga a shot. Uh, the series coming out actually reminds me that I was behind on the manga, so I actually spent a good couple of hours, an hour or so, I think, uh, when I should have been writing the script for this episode, uh, just reading the manga and casting up instead, uh, reminding myself why I love the series so much. Um, I might go back later and end up checking out, you know, maybe select scenes from the, from the anime to see how they did specific fights. Uh, but for now, I think I'm going to sit out, uh, sit, sit, I'm not, I'm not going to be busy I'm going to sit out um, and just catch the clips that I'm interested in. Um, though I will say, to his credit, the Seiyus for Heimdall, who I mentioned, as well as uh, you know the Valkyrie Brunhild, both super spot on for me. Definitely uh, a highlight of the adaptation that I saw. In any case, that's everything that's come out on Netflix so far in the first half of this year. Uh, now, you know, there's still definitely more on the way. Um, so next week, on the 24th, uh, they are going to be releasing the sci-fi series Godzilla Singular Point, uh, which was airing this past season on TV. Um, and then if you're into CG animation, Biohazard Infinite Darkness, also known as Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, uh, produced by TMS Entertainment, uh, is coming on July 8th. Um, also in July, season 2 of Beastars, which aired last winter season, uh, is coming out on the 15th. Uh, which definitely reminded myself I need to go ahead and finish watching the first 12 episodes of season 1 by then. Um, the Salmon King remake from uh, this past season uh, we're going to have its first core coming out on Netflix on August 9th. And on August 26th, we'll have the first core of Hiro Masima's newest anime, Eden Zero, coming out worldwide. Uh, and then from Geek Week, uh, we got a couple of announcements for things coming up in the future. No set date yet, um, but Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway is coming soon. Um, I'm excited for this one. It's also said in the Philippines, Jollibee and all. Um, there was someone who hasn't yet dived into the world of the Universal Century uh, timeline of Gundam. Um, we'll see if I actually do make that plunge. It's apparently there's a lot of backstory here. Um, what might help is that Netflix got the rights to the, uh, the original three Mobile Suit Gundam films uh, from 1980. 1982, um, which are actually coming out the day that this episode drops um, on June 18th. And then they also got the 1988 film Charles Counterattack, which is apparently the direct prequel to, you know, Mobile Suit Gundam Hathaway. Though apparently you should be watching Go Mobile Suit Zeta before that. I don't know. It's a it's a crazy thing to get in the Gundam. Um, but yeah, Netflix is, is definitely leaning into the Gundam brand as they're also working on the live action film adaptation. Directed by Kong Skull Island director John Vogt Roberts, who actually on the Gundam Info channel today, um, when I'm recording this, put out a video kind of reassuring fan that he's definitely going to take this seriously and thanking them for the opportunity. 
um, let's see, uh, other upcoming projects in the works um, that have we don't have much more than promotional images for. Um, but we have a space horror film exception featuring character designs by Final Fantasy's uh, Yoshitaka Amano. Uh, we have a film based on the Netflix original uh, film Bright called Bright Samurai Soul, directed by Kyohei Ishiguro, director of Children of Waves and Your Line in April. Um, and then mangaka Yasuho uh, Otagaki, who wrote the excellent uh, Gundam series uh, OVA or uh, manga um, Thunderbolt, uh, will have an original story in the upcoming space film Make My Day, produced by Taiwanese company studio Five Inc. Uh, so yeah, uh, that's what's announced for the coming months from Netflix uh, for anime, as well as what's going to come out come out this year so far. Now I'll probably come back with general thoughts on those in my Netflix episode later this year in the fall season. Um, but for now, you know I've talked about six series in depth. Um, Why is in depth? I can be on the first uh, after the first episode. Um, High Rise Invasion, Way of the House Husband, Yasuke, Eden, Trese, and Record of Ragnarok. Um, I do still have a list from last episode where I ranked all of the Netflix series pre twenty twenty one in order of mal rank score. So I'll just. Make my way down that list uh, with another four to make it an even 10 uh, for this episode. First up on that list, we have a series from 2018, uh, High Score Girl. Uh, this one has a 7.84 on Mal, uh, and adapts a 2010 manga of the same name by Rensuke Osukiri. It was produced by JC Staff. Uh, set in the 90s, the focus is on a young boy, Haro, who is a bit of a slacker and whose only talent lies in f- arcade fighting games, uh, specifically Street Fighter, among others. Um, after losing to Rich Girl Akira, who never actually speaks in the manga, uh, they find a mutual rivalrous bond between themselves, which I, I could definitely see developing into a sort of romantic comedy. Um, allegedly, there's a love triangle that ends up developing with another character uh, introduced later. Um, what really hooks me, though, is how detailed this series gets into the depictions of 90s arcade games. Um, again, for example, with Street Fighter, they get into the, the logistics of, like, you know, what kind of moves you can do and what kind of strategies you can play using specific characters. Um, getting the nitty-gritty of mechanics and arcade culture. While it may be a stretch to call me a gamer nowadays, um, uh, I can definitely appreciate the level of detail put into such an anime. Um, the CG look may be a little bit off-putting to some, but I think it works well overall and contrasts pretty nicely with the pixel graphics that the games depict. Um, the series apparently has a couple of OVAs and the second season, also on Netflix, for a total of 21 episodes and three OVAs. So uh, I, would definitely t- I would definitely continue on with High Score Girl. Uh, the next series on this list comes in the 7.81 on Mal. It was another 2018 series, though a Netflix original as opposed to a licensed show like High Score Girl. Now, before we get to it, you need to know about Go Nagai. Uh, most know him as the father of the super robot mecha genre with Mazinga Z. However, in 1972, he also created a dark fantasy superhero series called Devil Man about a boy, Akira, who absorbs a demon called Amon to fight crime, which received an anime in 1972. Uh, the next series that I'm going to talk about, Devil Man Crybaby, remakes and adapts this series to mark the 50th anniversary of Nagai's career. And who better to adapt the work of a legendary creator than another visionary in the making, Masaki Yuasa and his studio, Science Saru. As with most of Yuasa's work, uh, it has his distinct visual style that borders on surrealist. It definitely is not a safe-for-work series and makes use of Yuasa's style. In addition to the gore and violence caused by the demons, there's the explicit themes of sexuality and sex and puberty, uh, as early as the first episode with a really bizarre kind of mind-bending rave orgy type scene, uh, which Netflix's credit I think is the exact kind of work that they should be having on their series since they don't really care about ratings. Um, you know, the original guy work was published as a Sonin ma- in a Sonin magazine, so you really probably had to tone down, you know, some of the more extreme stuff, um, but here in Nasaki Yuasa just kind of goes all out with it. Um, 
so yeah, I, if, if only to make my way through all of Yuasa's filmography and from an eventual director's profile, um, I want to do on him in a later episode. I'll definitely make my way through all of this. But there's a lot of positive critical response, which no surprise coming from Yuasa, so it'd be worth it for that. You know, just the visual art style. Yuasa's work is not for everyone, but if it is for you, and it's definitely for me, after after all, I, ga- I gave his other work, uh, Izuken, um, Anime of the Year for me last year. Um, this is definitely one that is just worth checking out on that name alone. Now, next on my list, um, I actually have the series Teasing Master Takaki-san. Uh, this one had a 7.74 on my anime list. Uh, however, actually on Netflix, they only have the second season, which apparently is rated higher on my anime list at 8.11. Now, as such, since it doesn't have the complete series on here, I'm going to skip this one since these episodes are, these Netflix episodes I do are intended for series that you can watch in their entirety if you only have Netflix and none of the other streaming services. For what it's worth, though, I have heard this is basically uh, in similar vein to Don't Bully Me Nagatoro or Uzaki-chan wants to hang out, and that they're both purportedly comedies focused on uh, teasing slash bullying between a young, aggressive, assertive girl and the more assertive, passive, or the more passive male characters, often the senpai. Now, if you like those two, I think this might be up your alley. Uh, the next series I am going to dive deeper into uh, is I actually seen the first episode a while back, uh, but rewatched it for this episode. It's super popular at 7.68 on my anime list and well known even in the non anime circle, so it's no surprise that Agretsuko is on this list as a Netflix anime you should watch. Uh, originally, it was a series of 100 minute long episodes broadcast on TV based on a character from Sanrio, the Sanrio Company. Um, Netflix released a 15 minute, 10 episode run of the first season on the, of their adaptation of those. Uh, 100 episode sorts um you know on their uh over in 2018 uh and you know i just really hit it on a note that just really resonated with me um and i think many others which is why it's so popular maybe it's the cute anthropomorphic animal character design sanrio does so well maybe it's the simple yet effective class animation maybe it's the juxtaposition and depiction of aggressive as a young frustrated office worker who keeps her rage buried deep inside her before letting it out at death metal karaoke that resonates so closely with my generation who are growing more and more disillusioned with working life. The world may never know. Uh, in any case, with three seasons total and a Christmas special, plus a fourth season actually confirmed to be on the way, uh, there's lots of repressed red panga ants to work your way through in bite-sized bits with this one. Definitely check out Agretsuko if somehow you haven't already. Now, on my original list, uh, this will be where I talk about Knights of Sidonia, uh, which is also rated at 7.68. Um, unfortunately, it actually is no longer on Netflix or anywhere else online for that matter, legally at least, uh, which is a bit of a shame since this show actually has some historical significance. Uh, when it initially came out in 2014, uh, it had some lackluster reviews due to the use of CG animation, which wasn't as widespread at the time, but it is notable for being the first anime that Netflix licensed the exclusive rights to um, as it aired, so that's a little bit of you know, anime history that's lost for time until you know Netflix can get the rights back uh, to show the series again. <sighs> anyway, uh, the final series I want to talk about is Rilakuma and Karu, uh, which has a 7.65 on my anime list and came out in 2019. Now, Rilakuma is a mascot of the stationary company SanX from 2003, similar to Hello Kitty from Sanrio. Uh, in 2019, stop-motion studio Dwarf, who had worked on the popular Domo-kun series from the late 90s and 2000s, was licensed by Netflix to produce a series featuring Rilakuma and his friends uh, Korilakuma and Kiritori, um, as well as a new character, Kaoru. 
Now, I was successful for, for stop motion. See the affirmation Pui Pui Molkar. Apparently, director Masahiro Kobayashi was inspired by the stop motion films of Wes Anderson when making this, such as Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, which definitely shows. Um, what I really liked in the first 12-minute episode I saw was how this one tackled more adult topics, a la Agretsuko, you know, the woes and troubles of growing up and becoming an adult uh, through Karu. Now, while the veneer is based on children's stationary characters and, you know, stop motion animated you know, with Pui Pui Molkar, which is definitely a kid, so you think it would be a similar topic. Um, if you think about it, if you were 10 when the real Akuma character debuted in 2003, um, you would be 26 when the, when this anime came out in 2019. So I think this is the, they just hit the same audience who just aged up with them. Uh, in any case, between the subject matter, the stop motion delivery, and the short episode lengths, plus a sequel set to come out later this year, um, no secure date yet, um, I definitely see myself going back and finishing this series up. And that's that for this episode. Um, hopefully between the 10 shows I talked about this episode, uh, High Rise Invasion, Way of the House Husband, Yasuke, Eden, Trace, Record of Ragnarok, High Score Girl, Devilman Crybaby, Agretsuko, and Real Akuma, and Kaoru, um, there was something in Netflix's exclusive anime catalog for you to sink your teeth into, as well as for their upcoming releases to look forward to. I know I'm definitely going to go back for sure to watch Trace ASAP, as well as to make my way through Beastar Season 1 ahead of their Season 2 release. Um, we'll definitely be back at the end of the year to talk about the Netflix anime that came out between now and then, um, as well as any other announcements they have, um, and work their way through the and work way through the back catalog. But in the meantime, let me know what you think of these shows, and if you have any other recommendations from Netflix that I should be checking out. Or you can let me know on Twitter at yetanoanimepod or via email at yetanoanimepodcast at gmail.com. You can follow my my anime list on ninjaboy three 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 boy with an I. We'll we'll find on all the major podcast services, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review on, the, or at the very least, share it with another anime loving fan. If you want to be more directly support the show, you can do so over on Patreon at patreon.com. Uh, links to all of that will be on the show notes. Intro and outro music is provided by Suichi Sakagami at tandas.com and an introduction is provided by Ninsboy Media. That's it for this episode. We air on the first and third Fridays of each month. Uh, next time, in July, on yet another anime podcast, it's that time of the year of the year again. Uh, we've just done about another season of anime, so it's time for me to take a look at all of the shows I was able to complete and give my grading on how they spanned out. Um, but until then, see you, Space Cowboy. <laughs>